Hello, and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly look at all matters property designed to be of interest to anyone who has an interest in property. And Property Matters is supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. Each week we focus on those big stories in the news concerning property and no matter where you're enjoying the show, live or on catch-up, we'd love to get you involved in the show in the comments section below. We'd love to engage with your comments either live or on catch-up and if you'd like to email us anytime, we have a new email address, uh, hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. You can find the show live every week on our new website, propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters, of course, on YouTube or Facebook. It's also available in podcast form on your favourite podcast apps, which you can see on the screen there now. So let's catch up with our property expert. Good morning to Joe Joshi. Morning, Joe. Good morning, Paul. Morning, everyone. Let's get straight into it today. And we're going to go back to an old chestnut this week, Joe, um, talking about conveyancing. Whose fault is it? The UK's archaic conveyancing process could benefit from a major shake-up uh, to help speed up property transactions. This is according to Russell Quirk, who's the founder of Proper PR. Reflecting on the existing relation between estate agents and conveyances, he believes there's been, there should be plenty of room for improvements. Conveyancing, he says, was initiated as a process by Henry VIII, and in his opinion, it hasn't changed much since. And since its inception, conveyancing, which is conveying of a property from one person to another, has stayed largely the same. Obviously, it's a little bit more complicated these days, not least things like anti-money laundering are involved, so there's a lot more involved in it now than there used to be. However, what conveyances have done is just stick to the same old archaic process, he says, adding things on so that they become more cumbersome and more protracted and still insisting on doing everything consecutively. He also points out that recent research carried out by his company regarding transaction times, which found that typically offer a completion in certain places can take up to six months for a transaction to go through, up from about four months pre-COVID. Basically, the process is getting slower and longer, and everyone is to, to blame because it's not been uh, modernised. What's your view, Joe? Interesting subject, Paul. Uh, obviously, a subject that will be quite close to my heart in, in terms of our business and our businesses that we've been in, involved in, um, whether it's through estate agency or whether it's through um, auction. The conveyancing aspect is um, the key. It is sort of the, the, the pivotal of the business. Without that, um, the deals that we all try and do just don't shift forward quick enough. Um, and I've always said it's, it's, it's archaic, it's, it's quite ridiculous really um, as to what happens on it. Do you know, uh, Paul, my, my view, my first view is that the problem with the system is um, that whilst there's lots of gains and lots of pluses that happen in the property market itself, i.e., you know, for the time when somebody's bought a property to the time when it's actually worth maybe 100, 200, 300,000 pounds more. The growth in that property obviously is a great benefit and a great um, uh, asset to the per persons that own it. But the system, i.e. the conveyancing and the agents and so forth, just are ridiculous because they fight each other for uh, winning the business. And whilst they're fighting each other, the only person that always gains is the seller because he's obviously looking to pay as little as possible for the sale of his property, which he has actually made a huge gain on. Um, and if you really put it in, um, in perspective, what they should really do is consider that 
it is a valuable asset to sell and therefore it's important to get the right guys, the right advice and pay the right money to get the right job done at a, a quicker pace. The conveyances tend to obviously work on a volume basis. Um, and so to get the, the numbers that they need to make things happen, they will take on a huge number of instructions, huge number of conveyancing matters. Um, which then um, takes so much more time and it's maybe one or two people in their office that is actually doing that work and it is slowed um, through all of the activities that need to actually happen. Agents are equally at fault because at the end of the day they can and could actually do better but because they're charging such little money to their sellers they don't feel that it's their job to assist the matter. What they don't realize is that if they did assist the job, they'd probably get paid quicker. Um, but it's, it's, it's a case of, it's not my job, so I'm not gonna do it, and I'm not gonna get paid for it. And I would say that the sellers, the vendors, are equally at fault in making sure that the system stays slow. Um, and that is because they never respond to the things that they need to be responding to in time. Um, partly, because they start the process and then they say to themselves, I'm not quite sure if I'm really gonna go through with this, so I'll delay replying to those inquiries or those questions that I've been asked because I'm really not sure. It's almost a bit of a cloak and dagger situation. They're not telling the parties involved, i.e. the agent or perhaps the uh, conveyance or the solicitor that they've appointed, the true reason of why things are actually slowing down and that could slow the process down hugely um, it, 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 by months sometimes so let's take for example that circumstances in the home are not as rosy as one would like it to be and maybe two people are finding that they are going separate ways or something else has happened in their life that is causing a delay or, or a necessity to sell something. So if they sell something, but they really don't in their heart want to sell something, but they've got to show that they're doing something to make that happen, they are the real cause, you know, that, that's where the real problem starts. Because if the seller isn't actually being truthful in whether they are genuinely serious about doing something or, or not. And I always think, and I always say, that you know if they don't have skin in the game they don't actually commit to something in the first instance then you have to really as an agent ask the question how serious is my seller the problem we have is the set the agents are keen to get the instruction on because it's a numbers game for them they want as many instructions on as quickly as possible they want to win it over their competitors they may do a cheaper price to win it but actually they've really not asked the correct questions at the point of the instruction to ask the vendor, the seller, what is the real purpose of them actually selling? What are they trying to get under, under, under their skin to understand exactly the needs? Mostly agents tend to go in and do their valuation, talk about their services, and basically how quickly are you willing to put this on the market and can I take the photographs? send the EPC guy, do the floor plans and, and get on with it. They actually omit to ask the real reason of why they are. And of course, nobody's gonna volunteer that situation. No seller's gonna say to an agent, oh, excuse me, sit down, have a cup of coffee. Let me tell you my life story. 
because this is the problem and you might be able to understand it because the guy's thinking well you know what? i don't care uh, he's, uh, he's invited me around i want to, he wants to sell i want this instruction i've got loads of people that are going to buy it and that's it so part of what russell is saying is true um in the sense that you know um it is archaic but it's archaic for too many reasons and i think that if a agent was to go to an instruction ask for the details that they should ask as, as, a, as a question and almost you know say to the, to the seller i need you to send five months to your solicitor or a solicitor that you wish to appoint or a convencer because that will get them starting the, the local search and so forth and be ready when we are now i always find that that's a, a good telling time if you ask for someone for money that they are either in it for the real situation or they're just going to dance around the scenario and and i often so when i use that scenario with within the auction world i find that if someone is giving us an instruction you know they have to pay a entry fee um and i've had people say to me oh i've got a million pound property but i i just haven't got you know 550 quid plus vat and one has to ask the question at that point that, you know, how serious are you actually looking to make this happen? Because it's a six, eight week span. And in that week time, I'm going to have to do all this work and get you ready to be sold. Um, yet you're not prepared to put anything into this. That is, to me, a real telling story that if you're a million pound property and you're struggling for 500 pounds at that point, uh, you know, really the question is, are you serious about what you're doing? Those that are serious, they have no question in their mind whatsoever to say, yep, no problem, you know, um, give me the bank details or we'll transfer that in straight because I want to get this, this thing going. So I think that, you know, it's the old adage, I'm afraid, money talks and, you know, whatever else walks. But the fact is that it is, it is a commitment that you have to try and get from the sellers. That's where the start of this whole uh, process for convincing and for actually their motivation of selling property comes if they are not telling you the truth then yes everybody else then becomes the point of blame it will be the agent that should have done something it will be the convincer that hasn't done something or has not answered the email and it will be you know and it'll be just like a deck of cards that will start there i think that um, it really boils down to the seller at that time and their commitment and their truth of actually what it is that they're reason to sell for well just let's look at the process uh, shall we so i'm sure you'll relate to this you know somebody sells a property they get a lawyer instructed by way of memorandum of sale property information questionnaire goes out by the post three or four days later from the seller's lawyer to the seller eventually uh, that goes back five or six days later then a contract might be issued then the buyer's lawyer issues the same standard 56 questions and inquiries they issue on every single purchase which takes a couple of weeks to be bounced back in the meantime nothing else happens in the way of a search for instance uh, being initiated because the lawyer decides on the buyer's side that they don't go ahead with the search until there's a mortgage offer which can't happen until there's a valuation which will take three or four weeks for the mortgage forms and the survey to be paid so what we end up with says russell is a consecutive archaic draconian process which takes a long time surely in this world of digital portals um joe we must be able to find a more um instant way than this 
Absolutely. And I, as I said, I'm in agreement with, with Russell's view on this. And I, I, it's been a subject that has been, you know, <laughs> quite close to my own heart because I, it, it stops us um, doing what we, we should be doing. And that is getting a transaction through, selling the property that we said we we're going to sell and get people moving. Um, but it is not just about the memorandum of sale that starts. It starts way before that. It starts on the instruction, in my mind. You know, it's the time when I'm sitting, let's say I've come to your property and, I, and you've said to me, right, I want to sell my house. A lot of the agents, the younger agents are, are enthusiastic. Now I can go there, I, I was there 40 odd years ago. Your enthusiasm is to get the numbers in, you know, get your, your targets have got to be met. You've got to get the instructions, you've got to get the valuations, you've got to get the viewings, you've got to get all of that stuff. But all of that, sometimes you can have loads and loads of volumes of it, but actually at the other end, the sausage machine nothing is coming out because it's all clogged in the system um you've got them on in the front part you've taken the instructions on you've got everything going and now you've handed that to somebody else that somebody else is the conveyancing system they then clog the system up because they just not pushing it forward so at the other end of the sausage machine nothing is coming out why because it's clogged up in the middle now that, that clogging could be stopped by the agents from day one and that is when they go into someone's house and ask them, if I came to your property and said to you, you know, for example, okay, the modern world is everything is electronic, but back in the time of warp, my time of starting this, you know, deeds, for example, were held by the bank and the building society in deed vaults. That's how it was. So what you had to do is you had to, first of all, instruct your solicitor or conveyancer, the authority for them to apply to your bank and businesses a copy of those deeds. They can actually build the sale going forward based on the information that was on the deeds. And without the deed sale, knowing that you were the actual owners, they weren't in a position to make a contract and go forward. That was really archaic. I mean, we're talking about yeah, proper documents you know, archaic documents that were sitting in someone's vault somewhere around the country. And then people had even lost those, you know, they were in the wrong place or they had a wrong door number on it or a wrong address on it and it's stuck in the wrong box. And that could take weeks, if not months sometimes, just to find that deed, which is now electronic. So today, fast forward, you know, 40 years, today, most of that information is actually available online or through a system. So the solicitor actually doesn't need to now wait for a deed to turn up. He can actually apply to the land registry and get whatever documents he wants. It's available, information available to everybody. Get the documents downloaded, unless, of course, it hasn't been registered. If the title hasn't been registered and someone has sat on their deeds at home because they've paid the mortgage or they don't actually have a, a loan on it or it's not been held by a bank or building society that document is sitting in a file at home somewhere or with someone somewhere potentially it could be sitting with a solicitor in their system because they're safeguarding it and looking after it um and so so that's the only time that you might not get the electronic version, but if it's registered title, you can now get most of the documentation from land registry. So that part is now fast forward. So the land registry has become more modernized, which is, which is a good thing. 
but the system, i.e. the conveying system, hasn't become modernized because we sit there waiting for each other to actually reply to some inquiries or even just an email to say, can I actually do this? And the reason behind that is that there is so much else in people's heads that is going on, but they're not sharing with it. And I think that if somebody hasn't put in some sort of um, funds on account to a solicitor um, and said, look, you know, yeah, here's 500 pounds on account. Can you start the process? I think that's a telling story, you know, straight away that there is um, there's something not actually true to form here. And therefore, you need to get to the bottom of that. Once you've got to the bottom of that and you realize that they are, there is something going on, you can actually manipulate that. You can maneuver that. You can help that. You can tell your buyer, look, there is going to be a slight delay, or you could talk to the convincer. But I, I, I put the onus um, on the vendor of not actually coming clean of what the reason is that they may be going for. But there are ordinary situations when they are just literally selling the house, and then the agent is not educated well enough to say to the seller, by the way, this is the process. This is what I would like you to do for me to help you achieve the goals that you want in the shortest possible time and get you the best possible price. You know, I need you to help me to do this, 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 this. But unfortunately, the agents are probably not well versed on the convincing system. And so subsequently, they just do what they're supposed to do. And that is take it on, put it on the market, take the pictures and and start finding buyers doing the viewings and get it and then it's a bit like the penalty situation you've actually played the whole game and then you put the football on the actual penalty spot for someone like the conveyancer to now come and take the penalty um and they keep missing they keep missing the uh, <laughs> this and missing that and you're the one that's actually you know creating getting getting the burden of it so you know putting the football analogy you don't play the whole game and then get someone else to come and score the goal because that's where, where the problem comes what do you think about the suggestion that the agent should have the conveyancer as a licensed individual working within the agency itself so within their employ because then they would be surely obligated to be much more in tune with the estate agent and understand their process they'd also be much closer to the whole thing they'd be more visible There'd be opportunities to, um, to to work together to sell the whole thing under one roof. And obviously the other thing is that it just seems crazy. You've got an estate agent and a conveyancer that ultimately have the same goal, which is to get the, get the house sold and get paid. But they have to, there are two separate ent entities that just seem to be at loggerheads and they're trying to achieve the same thing. Does, there is some sense in that, isn't there? That if, if everything was under one roof, everyone was in the same building, it would get done a lot quicker, surely. Yes, there's uh, eminent sense in, in the whole process, but there, there are some other aspects of it in the background that unfortunately do not work well. So let's just run through that process of having it, because I've often thought about having, you know, an in-house conveyancer that would come along and sit there and do all the work for us. Um, there are two issues here, um, maybe more than two, but let's just pick up. The first one is that if I had an in-house conveyancer that is doing the work for myself and my company then um, i'm limiting myself to perhaps potentially and i say potentially in inverted commas possibly getting a cooperation or um winning business from perhaps another solicitor convincer who may consider instructing me for one of their clients 
Now, in the grand scheme, that is probably a long shot in probably 30, 40 years. Um, yeah, there might have been a handful of instructions that might have come from uh, But the mindset is that we may lose that opportunity of the, the other conveyancer working with you because he says your loyalty lies to the person that is working with you. So I've got no reason to be loyal to you and I don't have any reason to answer your questions and I don't really feel that we're mates and we can you can pick up the phone to me and and say because you've got your own in-house conveyancer so by doing that you actually slightly bugger up that relationship which is off the line discussion but it is that it does happen um and the second part is that even if we ended up dealing with somebody on one side so let's say we end up dealing with it on the seller side we cannot deal with the the, the buyer side um because it'll be um, it will be against the rules that the same person can act for both buyer and seller, unless, of course, they are established clients of history that they might be okay with each other to, to, for the work. But nine times out of ten, you as a selling solicitor cannot then act for the buying solicitor or the buyer's solicitor. And then you come across someone who's on the other side that you just are not going to be compatible with. You know, they are going to be awkward in asking the questions. And the same situation occurs, you know, we get back in clogging up the system because there are now two personalities who probably just don't think that it's worth them doing it because, you know, it's, they've got better things to do or they've got a better fee on another transaction, which is going to be probably more fruitful for them where they would rather put the time. So fee becomes a real issue in this. And I go back to both of them both as uh, solicitors and as agents. Agents undersell themselves all the time, only to beat the business from another agent. The winner in that is the seller. Um, they sit there waiting for people. So when you look at these new operations and throughout my life and journey, I've seen them come and go. Uh, when they come and do um, free this and free that, um, you know, agents are at fault for themselves they really do shoot themselves in the foot by saying i'm going to do this for nothing there is such absolutely no such thing as a free lunch you know and you'll see them all falling by the wayside left right and center as time goes on because it's actually not such a viable deal they work on the fact that they might get some you know extra added commissions from uh, insurance that they sell or, or mortgage products or you know um, other products that they might do even even a kickback from some of the conveyancing solicitors who absolutely hate giving the kickback because you know they're probably getting i don't know a thousand let's say thousand pounds and they're having to give the agent a hundred quid back for giving them the instruction so that actually doesn't help the business because they think oh well i'm going to get that anyway he's going to get a hundred quid they just have to sit and wait for it i find that they end up cutting their cost to win the instruction because they're on a volume cases. So they've got to do a lot of cases in order to be able to give it the proper service um, that, that is required uh, and speedier service that is necessary to do. Um, so I, I think, you know, uh, the system is archaic because we allow it to be archaic and we keep saying that everything is for free. And I believe that that is not the case. And, and so we pay for it in time. And the process pays for it in time, you know, so six months, four months, three months of time 
means that the agent has to fund his business from his own pockets because he's doing it for free. I mean, you know, it's just the most ridiculous scenario. I've just never been for that. And I've, I've been very clear in anyone that wants to do that, that, if they want to do something that's for free, then, you know, there's lots of people out there still silly enough to give you a free service. Go there, you know, spend your time. And, 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 and if you don't put a value on your time, because that's what it's about, Paul. If you say to yourself, well, actually, I'm getting it free, but I'm not going to move for six months. What they don't understand is in that six months, they would lose the opportunity of perhaps buying something that they would have bought, which may have gone up in value. And we'll talk about the little later on, which, and, and you will demonstrate that um, in, 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 in how much they lose out in the biggest game over small amount of money in the first place. So I, I think that, um, you know, we're all at fault for making it cheap. Ian McKenzie for the conveyances suggests that 60% of memorandums of sale are inaccurate from agents. And he says it's important that agents have as much knowledge as possible about the conveyancing process so that they can take control of the conveyancing chain themselves. So almost the conveyances absolving themselves of any responsibility to do the process because it seems that the agent is uh, the person that has to chivy it along. It does seem extraordinary. Anyway, we must move on, otherwise we'll not get any other stories uh, uh, through today. Um, and I just wanted to talk about um, uh, the gap between sellers' expectations and buyers' budgets narrowing. So this is basically the fact that finally the market is starting to slow down. The whole cost of living crisis, etc., 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 is starting to uh, cool the market. On average, the UK's prime regional markets continued to grow 1.2% over the second quarter of this year, slightly down from the 2% in the first quarter. This follows 16% of growth since the start of the pandemic in March 2020. For a property worth a million pounds in March 2020, that equates to an increase of £160,000 or £319 for a home on £2 million. So uh, what I wanted to really focus on is not necessarily the, the, the facts of um, what's exactly happened with what's happening exactly with the market, but I, I wanted to focus, Joe, with this on um, do we as sellers, you know, if it becomes a buyer's market, how do you change your strategy? Do you need to change your strategy when you're selling a property if it's a buyer's market? Because it's clearly been a seller's market for some time now. Yes, I mean, the buyers and sellers market, Paul, is, is, is really about the value and who's, who's now going to gain. Uh, it's been a seller's market and um, over the pandemic, the race for space and all those other bits that, you know, we, we talked about millennials, blah, blah, blah. It's been a seller's market because people have had other things in their mind that they think, right, I'm, I, this is how I need to move. This is how my life's going to change. And they have been life changing situations and circumstances uh, without a shadow of a doubt in in more ways than we can probably even cover and discuss because everyone's had something that has affected their lives uh, in that period however one thing that it was always a focus is where we live and how we live and why we live that way and where do we want to go etc etc and and one of those drivers uh, was uh, through the pandemic was race for space and so house prices, supply and demand, all of those things kicked in. People's way of thinking, the way we work, where, how we work, where we work, etc. All of those things started to be a reason as to why one wanted to move perhaps to outer spaces, cleaner air, etc, etc. Um, so that was a, but then it comes to a point when things like now, where we have 
um, other uh, pressing circumstances, war in Ukraine, for example, uh, increasing the cost of living, all of the things, higher interest rates coming through, all those things will be the, the things that will put the brakes on the marketplace a little bit and say, hang on a minute, this has gone a bit too far and, and maybe make people think, well, actually, do I really need to move? Shall I just stay put? So, you know, the sellers uh, don't move, the instructions become scarce. Um, and, and if they are going to be the case, then, um, you know, again, they're holding the value. They're not actually in a reverse gear. They're just saying, well, just stay put. When it becomes a buyer's market, it's a buyer's market because somebody now is keen to sell of circumstances that perhaps are not related to market trends. It might be a personal circumstance. It might be a circumstance within the family structure that needs to sell. And if they can't sell, they'll get more realistic about what they want to achieve um, as their price. I call that a price correction. Um, it's then you know, probably a little bit more real. Whereas if they'd run with the, the, the crest, um, in, in the way of the crest in the first place, by saying, look, house prices are going mad, this is the best time for us to get the best value. And as a seller, they, they were in, in, in a position. Now they might be that, you know, people are cautious in what they want to do, and, but they need to sell. And now they'll have to perhaps be a bit more realistic in their value. Some pundits will turn around and say house prices are falling. Um, that is not necessarily the case. The house prices are probably just getting corrected because they went a bit wild at a time when the demand was high and the supply was limited. Now the supply may be a little bit more frequent. I mean, we talked about on our program several times when, you know, there's not enough stock and there is still not enough stock in certain aspects and certain parts of certain types of properties. But in other areas that there's more stock available and the more the stock is available, um, obviously it becomes more of a buyer's market because the buyer has a better choice. And if they have a better choice, they're going to make um, accordingly the type of offers that they might think they could get away with and they'd feel that they're actually getting themselves a bargain because they've actually now got something like i don't know um, let's say 10 percent less or, or a few percent less from what they were going to probably pay for it in the first place it's a feel-good factor isn't it i mean anyone who thinks that they've actually got themselves something a bit cheaper than they thought is always a feel-good factor and sometimes that is built in you have to understand that that is also built in so we know that the buyer is going to probably come in at a lower level so you end up putting it at a slightly higher level and they still feel that they've actually got themselves a bargain but really you've actually probably hit the real number uh what it's actually worth so it's 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 a game of two halves as they say but it's a question of 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 how uh, you know how a buyer thinks they are they're, they're getting the best benefit and how a seller thinks that they're getting the best benefit out of it Savile's um, surveyed agents, uh, three in five, 62% cited a lack of stock as the biggest issue impacting the market, followed by increasing interest rates, 21%, and rising cost of living, 17%. It's definitely show, showing that, that the stock is keeping the price high, but the, the, the speed of the increases is slowing to 1.2% to per month, which is um, a lot slower than, of course, it was a year ago. And, and it does seem that um, sellers are becoming more aligned and more realistic about the fact that actually there's many pressures on the affordability for, for buyers at the moment, not least, of course, cost of living and, and whatever the mortgage rate that they're going to have to end up paying. 
But what was interesting also was um, Zoopla have, um, have, have also talked this week about prices um, and they've said that new research, um, the total value of the UK homes has now surged to over £10 trillion this year as strong demand and a lack of supply continues to drive the prices higher. Interestingly, the average household income now, Joe, is £34,100 and some properties are now making more than their owner's salary in a year as the total value of the homes has increased to £1.3 trillion. Uh, sorry, by £1.3 trillion. So that's netting the average homeowner £48 per day in capital gains since the start of the pandemic, which is extraordinary, isn't it? The house is actually making more money than the person's earning. I rest my case, Your Honour. Um, <laughs> we, we have constantly uh, said that, uh, you know, buying a home or being in the, in the market is the best thing that can, anyone can do. And... Uh, at uh, the amount of increase per day just goes to show what uh, an investment in a home or investment in a property actually equates to, which is why it drives it to that extraordinary number that you started this with as, as uh, uh, what the value and, 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 and the, you know, the increase in home ownership is. Um, you know, if it's in trillions rather than millions or billions. I mean, it's huge in in the UK property market that that uh, people are benefiting from. That kind of gives me the pivotal of going back to our earlier discussion. That here is a situation where people that own these properties are making substantial gains, yet the process they use to actually get from A to Z is archaic because they're not prepared to put a value on that, yet the market puts a great value on their home, but they're not prepared to put the value on the services. And equally, um, the agents don't put a value of the services that they supply to people that have actually getting. It should be a win for all people, really. Uh, you know, it's a win-win situation, not a win-lose, win-lose situation. And that's where, where this the system gets archaic. Sorry, I had to sort of go back to that, to relate to, the value in what people are gaining as to what they're prepared to pay to have a service and they'd rather sit there for six months and and not do anything about it actually in that six months if you look at the numbers that you've just talked about it's colossal you know on a per day basis you know six months of that that's the value you are losing if you're just not prepared to actually engage someone that is going to do a, a proper job for you um, but it is, it is true to say that someone like Zoopla is coming out with the statistics and the analysis to show how important and what value property adds to one's portfolio and one's income. And also, perhaps to those that buy into this, especially at retiring ages, as a supplement towards their income. If you look at the increase in the capital, let alone the increase they may get and the return um, they've got to look at it seriously because their own savings perhaps sitting in a bank or a building society is earning them next to nothing by comparison yeah absolutely zoopla's valuation estimate monitors the rise and fall of prices with data estimating that 9.4 million homes so 32 percent of all the homes in the uk 
the value of those 9.4 million homes has gone up by more than £50,000 since the beginning of the pandemic. And interestingly, 23% of all the value of all the homes is in the is in London and the South East. So that kind of um, uh, um, skews the market, shall we say, in terms of the figures. But 32% uh, of people have made more than 50 grand during the pandemic. So maybe there is a, a brighter side to the pandemic after all. Yes, I mean, you know, we've seen what the market's done for, for everybody in that period and still doing, despite and in spite of where we are, even with, you know, cost of living and all the other things that are going on, um, house prices seem to be still sustaining their sort of growth, albeit perhaps lesser than it was, but it's still, you know, in, in, in the running for the best return of anyone that is making any kind of investment, be it a home or be it a property that they bought um, for renting out. Either way, it is still producing the best returns for them. Last story this week I wanted to uh, chat with you about, actually was um, um, published a few weeks ago. Uh, we've just not really got round to it, but I've always thought it was a good story to, to, to talk about because we've never discussed this topic. And it's about uh, an increasing number of people choosing to sell their homes off-market. So not a phrase I'd heard before, so perhaps you might want to just tell us what off-market means and why perhaps people would consider doing it. It's an interesting word actually, off-market. It's discussed in our industry a lot um, and I'm a firm believer that if something is actually on the market, it really isn't off the market. But the word off-market really is on the basis that it is not marketed on any of the portals, one doesn't advertise it anywhere. It is specifically to a handful of clients so that might be on your database or are particularly searching for a specific type of property and especially works in uh, perhaps the higher end and that's where it's worked more, uh, certainly in uh, places like central London and perhaps other cities throughout the world where a specific buyer has a desire for a typical type of property and, you know, an agent like myself or someone else, uh, Hamptons in this case, may have been called to a property, but the seller is perhaps not motivated to put it on the market, um, perhaps doesn't want the whole world to know that they're thinking about selling. It could be a celebrity that is selling, it could be someone uh, famous that might be thinking about selling, they just don't want the whole world to think, uh, and the paparazzi and the media to start to say, look, you know, um, Joe Joshi is on the move for argument's sake. You know, it's just you know it's not not going to happen. So what they tend to do is say, look, um, you know, we we are thinking about selling, but we don't particularly want to be marketing it um, on any portal. Don't want to see it anywhere in the media. However, if you have a specific client or someone that is interested um, in that, then it's worth saying to them, let's. Um, Let's bring that on board and, and, and do it. So that becomes the off-market marketing. And it has happened and does happen and a lot of questions required. So a lot of people, a lot of buyers would like to buy off-market. The reason why they like to buy off-market is they don't want to be amongst a million people bidding for the same property. And the benefit for the seller as an off-market is to be honest with you the process and the speediness and the lack of intrusion so if they've got a nice property or a nice investment they want to sell 
They don't want the whole world and their uncle to say, let's troops around it, let me go through the numbers, have all the documents here left. They want to have it to a handful of people that may and, sh and show that they have the funding and the ability to actually buy that that's the person they want to sell to and not the tire kickers that might have a hope and a prayer to be able to say well i you know, if i did this and if i did that i might have got this funding or i might have got that this this borrowing so off market fundamentally is really a bit of an exclusive it does happen um i've certainly been instructed on on several over the years where people just say look you know we're happy to pay you your fee here's the deal but i just don't want it stuck here there and everywhere the reason I say off market, if it's off, if it's on the market, it's not off the market. Is that the one thing you cannot do is put a zip on people's mouths. And so if I if I turn around and said to someone, you know, Paul, here's an instruction that you might like, and it might fit your criteria, but I have to tell you that it's off market, and you've got to sign this with your blood to say that you're not going to tell anybody. Um, but you might tell your partner, and your partner might innocently tell someone else or oh, we're buying you know beckham's house for argument's sake and they'll before you know it it's now no longer off market because someone somewhere else is going to say oh you know cindy down the road and her husband are buying beckham's house for argument's sake and then that off market becomes on market because someone somewhere has let the cat out of the bag but that's how but the agent could get you know his collar felt because the client would say, well, actually, we told you it's off market, but how can you put a zip on someone's mouth? You can get them to do an NDA and all that kind of non-disclosure documents and so forth that you're not, you're not going to do this. But you can't do that with a million people, a billion people out there. Someone somewhere is going to let the cat out of the bag and say that's happening. That's what media thrives on. That's what, you know, the newspapers thrive. They pay people to tell them these sort of situations. So, uh, you know, um, it, it's, it's a good marketing tool, it works. If somebody doesn't tell everybody else that he's now on the market as opposed to being off the market. Yeah, during the first five months of this year, Joe, um, Hampton say that a quarter of homes in London changed hands without being openly marketed, which is uh, surprising. It's up from uh, 20% uh, in 2021. Nationally, around one in 10 homes sold in the year, found a buyer without being publicly marketed. That's the highest since 2015. And with off-market sellers achieving record prices, they report that more vendors have embraced the route. Um, they're saying that with uh, buyers very keen to get hold of stock before it comes to the market. So a lot of these properties, are buyers are encouraging the agent to say, look, before you put something on the portals, can you come and ring me and tell me about it? Because I might want to buy it before you even have to have the cost of putting it on the portal. So that seems to be another consideration. And also for the seller's point of view, they've been quite keen to do it this way because they don't want hordes of tire kickers, as you say, during the pandemic coming through the house with potential infections and everything. That's right. And and, and the two, are, they, there is there is a uh, method behind this madness, Paul. I totally agree with the idea of, you know, off market and, 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 and specific buyers that are showing interest on it. What I am going to say is that sometimes it being off market doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the best value because obviously you're limiting yourself as a seller to who that exposure is going to be. Equally, you might say, okay, well, I'll, I'll open the exposure, but you might find that actually you're best off as your first offer 
And that's from somebody who was prepared to pay for it off market, who now will not pay for it anymore because it's now gone on market. So it's a real fine line as, as to how that would be dealt with. But it is another method of sale that is certainly available in the marketplace. Thank you very much indeed. That's all we have time for this week. We must uh, come back again next week and discuss more property matters.